I was looking through some things and preparing for today, and uh, I was thinking about a time, it, it's not hard to find a time in my neighborhood where power goes out. Anybody live in Queen and your power goes out, you know, on occasion? <laughs> uh, well, I was thinking there's this one particular time several years ago when it didn't just go out and come back on later in the day. You know, you get that tech text from SWEPCO that says the power will be back on in 21 days, whatever it is. It always seems like it's going to be way longer than you want it to be, but uh, I remember the power, it was a bad storm, it was late May, uh, some years ago, five, six years ago, and uh, I mean, it blowing stuff all over the place, and the power went out, and it was really one of our first experiences with the power going out for an extended period of time, and uh, ended up, the power was out for almost five days in our neighborhood. Um, some people, and I talked to them since, got power back on the same day. I don't know how Don Henry pulls that off, but uh, but he did. <laughs> Way out there, y'all got power back the same day. But anyway, not complaining, not complaining. I was, but um, we didn't know on the front end we were going to be without power for five days. And so we're just thinking, oh, we can, you know, just ride it out. And then the night passes, and you go into the next day and say, well, the stuff in the fridge is not going to make it. We need to figure this out. And we found a place that had a generator because everybody's buying them up real quick. And we ran down there super fast, got this generator, bring it, brought it back to the house. Anybody have a generator at their house? You need one, <laughs> especially here. Uh, and, and, you know, if you live in my neighborhood, I know I've got one neighbor who's got like two or three. The power goes out, and I hear those things crank up, and I think he powers on everything in his house by those generators. But, uh, <coughs> and so we got this generator. I was reading all the directions, figuring it out, get stuff. Because I didn't know, uh, being a first-time generator user, uh, how much power the stuff in the house was going to suck out of the generator. So I didn't want to plug a bunch of stuff in, you know, and have to go fill up the gas five, six, seven times a day. And so at first, all we plugged in was the fridge. And at night, a couple of fans, like, you know, floor fans, because uh, late May, it's hot. And uh, so we had the fridge plugged in, saved the food. And then it got into day two and day three, and the kids were, the older kids we have now were real little then. And trying to keep them entertained in the house, the tot during the day, get, open the windows, get everything going. And um, the, the, the difficulty we realized, though, at the time, it wasn't necessarily worried about the food going out or eventually plugging the Wi-Fi router into the generator, which needs to be a necessity. You know, you plug in the fridge and the Wi-Fi router, and you should be good to go then. But uh, we didn't know that then. But it, w- it wasn't any of that, really. It was light. Because in our house at the time, our bathroom, we had two bathrooms, didn't have any windows. And we didn't have really bright flashlights either at the time. I had one old, you know, camping lantern that I had gotten as a teenager. And uh, one, it had two bright bulbs and one really dim bulb. And one of the bright bulbs was out. And the thing is so old, get this, I, I looked it up recently. They don't sell the bulbs for them anymore. <laughs> they don't make the connections for them. But, uh, and so we had one bright bulb and one dim bulb. And we had these, you know, not so bright flashlights. And if somebody's got to go to the bathroom or somebody's got to take a shower, which it's a cold shower because there's no power, um, you got to take the lantern so you have enough light, but then that means nobody else has light, bright light. And so you're desperately in need of light. And so it was a, it was a deal where, we, you know, you would take showers one at a time and the shower person would take the lantern kind of a thing. And since then, now, we realize the last time we lost power, you know, a few weeks ago, a month ago or something, the, the other bulb in the lantern has gone out. So <laughs> the lantern is, is useless now. Uh, but, uh, and it, 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 which is fine, it took four D batteries and four C batteries. It was a, it was a very expensive lantern. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it, it needs to go in the trash. Uh, maybe I can salvage the batteries because they're expensive. But 
somebody would go and they would need the light in the house. And, but for them to take the light means nobody else has the light. Uh, since then, you know, we've got several new you know, flashlights in the years since that are a little bit brighter than that lantern was even then. But uh, y- you need light. You need it. You're desperately in need of it when, the, when there's no power, when, when everything is dark. And honestly, that's why God has put Christians in the world, to be a light in the darkness. And that's what we're going to see today in, in the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be. It's really what this whole series, All In, is about. is about being the light that Jesus designed us to be. And we talked about uh, several weeks ago, if we're going to go in for all in for Jesus in the year 2021 and shine as brightly as Jesus intends us to shine, here's 10 areas that we can look at that can help us do that. Uh, and those 10 areas are, I think I put them in the, in the slides, uh, it starts with being a believer. You need to be a believer, and then, you be, then you're baptized. Baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is a declaration to the world that you are saved. You have been saved. You belong to Jesus. And so you're baptized at that point. And if, if you need to make that declaration today, you saw it just a minute ago. We baptized. So you know the water is on and the water is warm. Uh, it's warm, right, Micah? It's warm, yeah. Uh, so you can go and you can, we can do that today. We've got some baptism t-shirts already ready, set up back there in order of size. We can go right now and baptize you if you want to be baptized today. Don't let any of that be, be a hindrance in your mind. And so you need to be a believer, be baptized. And then we saw to be a, in a small group to help encourage you and, and guide you and so that you can also be an encouragement and a guide. It can be a small group like what we have here at the church or a couple that, that don't meet here at the church or it can just be people you already do life with every day and be a small group together, doing life together daily. I mean, we saw when we studied that a few weeks ago, Jesus himself is in, was in a small group. And even if in your small group you feel like you have a bad egg in there, somebody you don't like so much, Jesus had Judas in his small group and so you never know who is in there, but everybody needs a little Jesus. So be in a small group. Spend time with the Lord daily uh, through Scripture, uh, through prayer. Uh, church service attendance. Be a part of a large group gathering like this. They did that in the book of Acts. They gathered together in a large group setting. Uh, they actually did it in the Jewish temple. Many of the Jews who put Jesus to death would go to the, the temple, and then the, the followers of Jesus would then go and gather in the very same temple and have their large group gathering. But we also see in the book of Hebrews, we're not supposed to neglect that either. Uh, be a part of a large group as well as a small group. We need to give financially, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. Because giving financially reveals our hearts. Do we trust God or not? We need to be using our spiritual gifts, the gifts that God has given us. And every believer in Jesus has spiritual gifts. Everybody does. Nobody has all of them. Uh, and if somebody says they do, they, they have the spiritual gift of lying. They do not have them all. Uh, because God designed the church to have be complementary of each other. I have spiritual gifts, you don't. You have spiritual gifts, I don't. And when we all work together, we can accomplish his purposes together. And we need to be an advocate of the work of God everywhere, even here. Not to be naysayers, negative Nancys about what God may be doing in somebody else or through somebody else or in another way, but be an advocate for the work of God. Because if you say something negative about the work of God somewhere else, it may get to the ears of somebody who needs to hear about Jesus. And if they need to hear about Jesus from the ministry that you just knocked, then they're not going to hear about Jesus. Be an advocate of the work of God everywhere. There was a time, actually, in the, in the ministry of Jesus when there were some guys who were talking about the way to God and they were healing people. And Jesus' disciples stopped them 
And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we stopped them because they're not one of us. And Jesus said, you guys did wrong. <laughs> they're pointing people to Jesus. They're pointing people to me. They're pointing people to eternity, and they're healing people. So they're doing good stuff. You guys were in the wrong. And so if somebody else is blessing somebody through the work of Jesus, and, and we may think that it's not proper, we may, it may make us uncomfortable. But if it's bringing somebody to Jesus, who am I to say that it's bad? I may not know the whole story. The TV station may edit some stuff out when they put it online, and I may not hear everything. And so for me to say something bad about that is for me to speak out of turn and make an assumption and possibly turn somebody away from Jesus. So we've got to watch ourselves, be an advocate of the work of God everywhere. And now these last two are the ones we're going to focus on today, being a gospel giver and a disciple maker. Because these are the things that are going to change the world. These are the things that are going to have a vital difference in everything that's going to become in our very near future. And so let's look at this. We're going to start in Acts uh, chapter 16. The book of Acts chapter 16. Uh, it's going to be on the screen. It's going to be right below me if you're watching online. If you're sitting here in the pews, you can grab one of those Bibles. And uh, it'll be on page 925. Uh, you can find it there. Actually, you know what? I think there's a couple of Bibles that are missing. Some people came by the church this week, and I came in here and gave them Bibles. So uh, if there's no Bible in front of you, that is my fault. I forgot to refill it. Uh, so anyway, uh, we'll, we will do that later. I just realized that. So in Acts chapter 16, uh, we're in the ministry of Paul. All right? Now, Paul is probably, he's been called the greatest missionary who ever lived. He's been called one of the greatest preachers whoever lived, even though you can read on into the book of Corinthians, people complained about his preaching. They said he wasn't very good. They didn't like the way he looked. Uh, they thought he was, you know, he was not, he didn't look like the kind of guy who'd be a preacher, and he didn't sound like the kind of guy, and he didn't use big, eloquent words. Uh, but Paul said, I just want to preach about Jesus, and that's all that matters to me. Um, but there, here's Paul. He's out here. He's going from place to place. He's telling people about Jesus everywhere he goes. And in the process of that happening, uh, in one particular town, they, they storm wherever he's preaching, they grab him, they drag him outside the city, and they stone him. That means the mob picks up rocks and throw him at him, trying to kill him. Paul collapses. They believe he's dead. He may have been. The book of Acts doesn't say. You know what happens next? Paul stands up and walks right back into the city where they just drug him out and stoned him. There's pe still people who need Jesus. He's not going to hesitate. He goes back in there and spends the night there and leaves the next day. Because for Paul, everywhere he went was an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Even in jail, telling the people that he was chained to. At some Later on, we believe he was uh, uh, chained up in Rome. Ultimately, he gets beheaded in Rome. But while he's there, he tells the Roman guards who are chained to him about Jesus. Because for him, it wasn't, woe is me, I'm in jail. It's, hey, I got guys chained to me for eight hours a day. These guys are going to find out about Jesus right now. It's an opportunity for him. An you know, I actually took that philosophy. And at our wedding, before the ceremony started, I got up. My, th my thinking was, I knew that I had family members in the room who didn't know Jesus. And so I got up and, and gave a gospel presentation. Because I thought the wedding hadn't even started yet, so they can't leave. <laughs> so they're stuck here. Uh, and so I'm going to share the gospel with them, knowing that they need to hear it. Uh, building off of, of Paul and his philosophy. And so Paul, he's going everywhere he can to tell people about Jesus, and he tries to go this one place, and God tells him, don't go there and tell them about Jesus. That seems kind of weird, right? I mean, he's, 
going everywhere and telling people about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, God says, yeah, don't go there and tell people about Jesus. So look at this. This is Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, try to take that in, right? The Holy Spirit forbids them from sharing the gospel in Asia. It seems beyond imagining. But there was a purpose behind it. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Now, Bithynia was the first place into Asia. I mean, they were still, even though the Holy Spirit said don't go, they're still trying to go. All right? They're still trying to fight against it. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by, they, they went away, they went around. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there. Macedonia is in Europe. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, he says preach the gospel. That doesn't necessarily mean stand up in front of a church on a platform with a pulpit. That means just go and tell somebody about Jesus. That's what he's saying there. You don't have to you know, come up with a sermon to preach the gospel. You just got to tell somebody about Jesus. And so Paul gets this vision, and it's a, it's a person standing from Macedonia. Somehow he knows in the vision it's a, a Macedonian man, guy from Europe. They haven't been to Europe yet. The gospel has not been there yet. They've been trying to go to Asia. God said no and redirects them. They go from the Middle East trying to go to Asia. God redirects them to head to Europe. And it says, in the middle of the night, he gets his vision. Come to Macedonia and help us. Paul wakes up. It's the word he uses there in verse 10. Immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia. So the idea is, in the middle of the night, Paul wakes up all the guys who are with him and says, okay, we're going to Macedonia right now. They pack up, they brush their, they get their first century toothbrush, and they head down to the docks, which is, it's, it's strategic that they got to the city, Troas. They had to get here, because this was a, a seaport. And God gave them this vision there. They jump on a boat, and they make a beeline. They don't go the, around, the, the roundabout way to get to Europe. They get on a boat, and they go straight line to Europe. That's where they go, Macedonia. First time they've been there. And they get to Macedonia. All right? So God is, is orchestrating this whole process. But what's key, you've got to understand something, and it's going to be key throughout the rest of the Scripture we're going to be looking at, is that they obeyed. They obeyed immediately. Obedience is immediate. Obedience is immediate. There's not enough time to delay and say, I'll put it off and I'll do it later. No, obedience is immediate. Delayed obedience is disobedience. There's no other way around it. I mean, delayed obedience is disobedience. If you tell your kid, hey, I want you to take out the trash. Trash day is tomorrow. I want you to take out the trash. And they don't take out the trash until the day after tomorrow, that doesn't help you. You miss the trash man. I love our trash man. They're, they're, some days they come really, really early. <laughs> but we are very appreciative that they take the trash away for us. Uh, but if you tell your kid, if the trash comes at our house, it comes on Thursday. If you tell your kid Wednesday night, take the trash out. And they don't take the trash out till Friday, that's delayed obedience. And now you've got a pile of trash sitting around. And in our neighborhood, that means, uh, well, I, I say our neighborhood, 
for some reason, it's only our house. It, ever the, other people leave their trash in their trash cans with their lid open. Nothing happens. We leave our trash with the lid on. The raccoons and the deer open our trash and eat our trash and spread it all over the place. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, but that's just the way it happens. And so you got to be very good. We have a lid, and we put a brick on it so they can't lift the lid. Uh, we see little paw prints all over the trash can the next morning. But if they don't take the trash out, then they disobey, and there's a problem. But it's the same case with us spiritually. If the Lord's given us an instruction and we don't do it and put it off, that's disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So the obedience we see here in Paul is immediate. God said go. Paul didn't wait. I mean, the, the way it's phrased, he wakes everybody up and said, God said we got to go now. We are going now. We're not going to wait till tomorrow. We're not going to wait till the day net after that till we can get all our affairs in order. We are leaving. And everything, you know, if... Uh, I, there was a great preacher. He's still a preacher today, still alive, uh, Charles Stanley. He said, just obey God and leave the consequences to him, and he'll take care of the rest. If you just obey God, then he'll take care of all the other stuff. And so that's, what, that's Paul's mindset. He says, we're just going to leave. And so they jump in a boat, and they head off. They head off to Europe. Look at verse uh, 13. So they, they, they get there, and they, they make their way to a city called Philippi. And they're trying to find people to tell about Jesus. And so they go first to the people who might be the most receptive, people who are at least believers in God. Okay, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, for we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods and a, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Paul and the guys with him obeyed immediately. They go to Europe, and they come to this town of Philippi, and they go down to the river where there's people praying, and they start telling them about Jesus. They weren't invited to tell them about Jesus. They just started doing it. And one of the people who was staying there was this woman named Lydia. And she gets saved. She says, come and tell everybody in my house what you just told me. She does. They all get saved. Everybody gets baptized. And this woman, Lydia, becomes the first believer in Jesus in Europe because of this moment right here. And this is going to be very important for something in a minute. And so Paul tells them, Lydia believes in Jesus. And Lydia's family believes in Jesus. And there begins to be this excitement that's, that's bubbling up in the city of Philippi. And so as, as uh, Paul and his companions are going around telling people about Jesus, Jesus, they begin to be followed around by this slave girl, this slave girl who is possessed by a demon. And Paul turns to this girl and tells the demon to come out of her. But in so doing, the owners of this girl, because she was a slave, were exploiting the fact that she had a demon in her, and they were using it for their monetary gain. They were using it to make money. And with the demon gone, their source of income was gone. And so they fabricate this story, and they take Paul and Silas, one of the guys with him, and they throw him before the governmental leaders. And they say, these guys are out here saying stuff that's against Caesar. Like they're trying to incite a revolt against the government is the idea here. Okay, look down in verse uh, 21. So they're speaking to the magistrates. And these guys say, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. 
And the crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so the jailer gets this order. Take These are bad criminals. Bad criminals. They don't really know exactly what happened in the situation, but they believe what these other guys are saying. And so the jailer takes Paul and Silas and throws them into what he calls the inner prison. Now, the prison was organized in a unique way. It wasn't, you know, every cell being the same. Uh, there, you had the regular cells, and then they had what they called, like he says here, the inner prison, which was like the prison basement that was dug out, not like concrete. I mean, this is like a cave kind of a situation. This is where they put the bad guys. I mean, it was terrible. It was dark. There was, I mean, there was no, win there were no windows. There were water leaking down everywhere, sewage leaking down everywhere, probably rats and all kinds of mess all over this place. And he takes them down to the inner prison and he puts their feet in stock. So, you know, they've got these big wooden planks with, with you know, leg holes cut in them uh, that were fastened to the ground. And they clap the top down on it and lock it down. And their feet are in this thing. And... Uh, I've given an illustration of it before. I mean, these, they, these things were so small, it was like their feet, uh, they were sitting on the ground, feet in the stocks, their feet were butting up against the other side of the cell. I mean, it was tiny. And, and so they're together, side by side, in the cell, feet in the stocks, uh, their toes touching the other end of the cell, and they're in here, in prison, wrongly accused. Do you think you would be complaining a little bit? Do you think you would say, this isn't fair! Call my lawyer. That's not what they're doing at all. Now, as Roman citizens, they had certain rights that are going to get the magistrates in trouble later on in the story, but they don't assert those rights. They forego their rights for the sake of the gospel. Look at what happens. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were singing and praising they were praying and loudly, so the other prisoners are hearing. The jailer is hearing all of this. Would, you, would that be you? <laughs> Praise Jesus! I'm in jail! Praise the Lord! Amazing grace, how sweet this sound. Here we are! This is so amazing and great. Oh, what was that thing I just put my hand in? Praise God! I can feel! You know, I mean, it's, they're praising God in the prison. Everybody's listening to this. Verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Earthquake shakes the whole prison. All the doors of the prison fly open. The earthquake is so violent that the locks break off of the chains, that the stocks break, and they're free. I mean, they are free. Nothing is holding them in any longer. Would you be out of there quickly? I mean, it's the Roman government. I mean, it's the Roman government. I mean, it's not like our government where, you know, you have certain laws that protect people from certain things happening. The Roman government had laws, but if the magistrate was feeling a certain way, if he had bad tacos, you were going to be executed. I mean, that's the way they felt. They didn't care. It didn't matter. And so that's what they're sitting in. And they're in this not knowing what tomorrow's going to hold, and everything is busted open. Look at what happens. Verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Because for a jailer, 
whose prisoners escape under his watch, there is no grace. None. Like, they don't, the, 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 the officers over you don't listen to your story. They don't do anything. If you're in prison, if you're the jailer and anybody escapes, they're going to kill you. You'll be lucky if it's quick. I mean, there's just no mercy. And so he knows that's coming. He, he figures everybody has left. I mean, all the cells are open. They just ran. And so he pulls out his sword, and he's going to kill himself. Remember, it's, it's dark down here. And so he's, he's in this process. So verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. So it's not only did Paul and Silas not run away, nobody else in the prison ran away. They had to trust the faith, the, 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 I don't even know what you call it, stick-to-itiveness of everyone else in the prison. No one else ran. Because remember what happened earlier. They were praying and praising God, singing hymns, and uh, everybody else in the prison was listening to what they were saying. And because of that, at this particular moment, nobody leaves. Nobody leaves. There's not communication from Paul and Silas. Hey, guys, don't leave. Nobody leave yet. Not that anybody would. I mean, imagine that happened today. Massive earthquake. All the prison cells break open. All the doors collapse. What are the odds everybody stays put? Not good at all. That's right. For real. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have faith or not. You are out the dough. I mean, I remember growing up in Houston, and this has nothing to do with this, but growing up in Houston, a guy escaped from the prison in Huntsville which is a max security prison. I mean, they have 10-foot uh, fences with razor wire followed by 13 feet of ground with razor wire on the ground followed by another 10-foot fence with razor wire followed by another 13-foot with razor wire another fence with razor wire and a guy escaped from that. He crawled through all that razor wire. They ended up finding him on a boat in the middle of the lake and he couldn't move anymore because he'd lost so much blood. They saved him and he got more time. But uh, Guys in prison will crawl through that sometimes. And here, everything's open, and nobody leaves. Talk about God's intervention. Here he is, and Paul's in there screaming, nobody left. How does he know the lights aren't on? <laughs> Unless God revealed it to him. Nobody left, and the jailer calls for lights. They head down there. Everybody's still there, and the jailer comes, and he falls before Paul and Silas. He's heard what they've been singing about. He's heard what they've been praying. He probably may have heard what they've been preaching in town. And look at what he says next. Uh, verse, uh, where is it? Verse 30. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and his, his, all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. They, they set aside their rights so this guy could be saved. They came, God redirected them from Asia to bring them to Europe so Lydia and this Philippian jailer could be saved. Redirecting their entire ministry, their entire plan for the next five years. God did away with all that so they could get to this point and these two people could be saved. Lydia and the jailer. Lydia and the jailer. Now notice, 
it wasn't until the jailer heard the word of God that he was saved. He had seen the actions of Paul and Silas. He had seen them. They stayed in the cell. But it wasn't until he heard the words that he was saved. He had to hear them. Had to hear what the gospel was. You see, the gospel cannot be given through osmosis or telepathy or proximity. Just because they're next to me and they can read my shirt doesn't mean they're going to be saved. They have to hear it. They have to hear the gospel. The gospel is given by word. By word. Whether spoken or written. Gospel is given by word. You know, there's a quote that floats around the internet that I can't remember what it is now, but it's attributed to St. Francis uh, that give people the gospel and if at all, uh, always give people the gospel and if you have to use words. Well, St. Francis never said that. (laughs) You can look it up. He never said it. That's an internet invention. He never said that. The gospel is given by word. Go and tell is our instruction. That's our instruction. Go and tell. Go and tell is the instruction. And so if you ever see something attributed to Scripture or to somebody and it contradicts Scripture, you can guarantee it's not real. (laughs) It's not true. Scripture is our final word. I was talking to some people this week. Scripture is our final word on everything. Scripture. And so God says, go and tell. So here's Paul and Silas. They've demonstrated the gospel. They've stayed in prison. They've demonstrated grace and mercy towards this jailer. But it wasn't until he heard the word that he believed. And he believes in this moment. And what's so amazing, right? God loved Lydia and the jailer so much that he sent Paul to them. He loved them so much. That doesn't mean he didn't love those people in Bithynia that were in Asia. It doesn't mean he doesn't love them. He's going to send somebody else to them. He loved Lydia and the jailer so much that he sent them Paul. But what really struck me as I was studying this is before Paul could go to them, God had to send somebody to him. Paul didn't just spring up, you know, fully believing everything and spouting out the gospel in such incredible ways. Somebody had to bring the gospel to him. And so there would, there would be no Philippian jailer or Lydia getting saved without Paul, but there would also be no Paul without someone else. So flip back a few pages. Acts chapter 9. See, if you didn't know much about Paul, before he was a Christian, he was a guy who hated Christians. He would break into homes and arrest Christians, moms and dads, and leave the kids in the home. Sometimes he'd arrest the kids. Sometimes he would arrest the people in the house and take them out in the street and kill them. Sometimes he would take them for trial, and he would be the first one to vote that they die. Yeah, he was a terrorist against Christians. He hated them with everything he was. And then God comes to him as Jesus comes to Paul and says, what are you doing? And then Jesus blinds him, and Paul goes into the city he was headed in. He was going to a new city to do this. He had been in Jerusalem ravaging Christians, I mean, just tearing them up. And he got letters for permission to go do the same thing in a nearby town. And so he's on the way to the nearby town. Jesus shows up, blinds him, and he keeps going to the nearby town, goes to the same place he was going to stay in, and he's staying in that place blind, not knowing what's going on, trying to process everything he's just experienced in the words Jesus spoke to him. He's not saved yet, but he's processing this. And in the midst of that, God comes to somebody else who's living in that town, a Christian, and says, I've got a job for you. We're going to look at this man. Look in verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, something you need to know about Ananias. This is the only time we hear of him. We don't know anything else about him besides what's right here in these verses. Only time he's mentioned. 
is this disciple named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and to the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Now you may say, Hey, you just said the guy's name was Paul. Yeah, and here it's Saul. You see, when, when uh, it's, he didn't have a name change at some point, he didn't. Uh, Saul is the Hebrew form of the word Paul. Paul is the Greek form of the word Saul. And so when he was among Hebrews, he used his Hebrew name, Saul. And when he went to go minister to people who spoke Greek, he used the name in Greek, Paul. And so here, he's coming from a Hebrew background, Jewish background, in among Jews, and so that's the name that's used, Saul. And so Saul's there, he tells him. He has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him that he may regain his sight. Now, what's fascinating to me, all right, we're about to see something. Ananias knows who this guy is by reputation, Saul, the killer of Christians. And God just told Ananias, I told Saul that a man's coming and his name is Ananias. So it's not like God just told him, some guy's going to come to your house and tell you about this. He, he gave him a name and said, this is the man who's coming. So it's not like Ananias can get out of it now, all right? It's like, I, don't, I mean, it's, it's hard to put it in context of today. But it's as though the, you know, leader of uh, North Korea is coming to Dequeen to kill Christians. And God comes to you in a vision and says, hey, I want you to go to that hotel and tell him about Jesus. And I told him your name, that you're coming. Hold up, God. <laughs> you got somebody else in Dequeen named Josh? Because why don't you go grab that guy, right? God, uh, I'm married. I got five kids. I need to take care of you. See me? He's going to cut my, as soon as I get in the door. What are you doing to me, God? And this is what God's telling Ananias. Go, I told him Ananias is coming. And look at what Ananias says. Now, remember what I said earlier. Obedience is immediate, okay? Here's Ananias. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority uh, from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias, I don't know how Ananias knew all this, but he says, God, I know about this guy. Everything he did to the church in Jerusalem, he's now on a, he has full authority to come and do it here. Arrest people, kill people. He's the guy who's going to do it here, God. And you want me to tell him about Jesus? Why don't you let me bring some of my biggest, barely Christian friends, and we'll go down there and we'll tell them about Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? God, can, God has great patience here. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go, for he, has, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He says, he is a chosen instrument of mine. Go. He tells him again. He tells him twice there. Go. He is a chosen instrument of mine. I want him to be saved because I've got something big for him to do. I've got something important for him to do. And so Ananias goes, verse uh, 17. Ananias departed and entered the house. Now, what isn't even mentioned here, but it strikes me. Saul is staying at the house of a man who would be sympathetic to his cause. A man who would be anti-Christian or he wouldn't stay there. Because that's the whole reason Saul was coming to Damascus. And so Ananias walks into a hostile house to share the gospel with a man who has a reputation of killing people like Ananias. Ananias walks in there. Verse 17. He lay, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, 
The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul, later on in the book of Acts, is sharing his testimony about this moment. And in Acts chapter 22, and Ananias tells him uh, to rise, to, to wash away your sins, believe in Jesus. And so Paul does this. Saul does this, verse 18. Immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So this is his moment. Saul gets saved. He gets saved right here because Ananias came. Because Ananias was told by God, you need to go and tell that man about Jesus. You need to go to that house. No matter how hostile it is, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you, something's in the world is going to phenomenally change because of what I'm going to do through this person. Go and tell them about me. Doesn't matter <laughs> what Ananias thought about Saul, what he had heard about Saul. What He walked in the room and said, man, there's no way God's going to do something great through this guy. I mean, just look at it. Doesn't matter. God said, I'm going to use him. And so Ananias went and shared the gospel. And because he did, eventually Paul would go on to Philippians and share the gospel with a woman named Lydia and a Philippian jailer, the first people in Europe to get saved. And on through the centuries, the Christians in Europe would then come to North America and begin to share the gospel. And now you're sitting here as a result of the obedience of Ananias. It wouldn't have happened without this moment. You never know what God's going to do through somebody you share the gospel with. You never know. It may be something through them. It may be something through somebody they share the gospel with. You don't know. We're all sitting here because of a man who's only mentioned in the course of nine verses. And we believed in Jesus because of this. And somebody came to you and told you about Jesus at some point. I can go back and I can remember sitting in my dad's office and him telling me and believing in I can I can go back right now. Cleburne, Texas. Who's ever heard of Cleburne, Texas? Good. Back then it wasn't nearly the metropolis it is now. <laughs> but I can I can I can still I can picture it sitting there in my dad's office on a Sunday morning and praying to receive Jesus. And you never know what God's gonna do. You never know who's God's going to use to bring somebody to Jesus. You never know. Ananias, through argument still, but then eventual obedience, took the gospel to this man named Saul. And now we're sitting here in this room with the opportunity to hear the gospel again, the opportunity to tell people about Jesus again here in Dequeen. You know, we can say all day long, man, we want revival in America. We want it. We can say it. We can pray it. But if we're not telling people about Jesus and making disciples, we're part of the problem. I mean, I can tell my kid all day long, take the trash out, but I also know the trash man's coming. And if the trash doesn't get out, it's my fault as much as theirs that the trash didn't get out. If I complain come Monday that my driveway smells like trash, I only got me to blame just as much as them. You can pray it, you can say it. But if you're not telling people about Jesus, revival's not going to come. It's not. It's not going to come. It's not going to come to your work if you're not going to tell people about Jesus. God put you in that job to tell people about because he wanted the gospel in that job, in that place of employment. And you've got the hope of eternity. 
He put you there to be the light. He put you in your family to be a light. You say, man, my family is, is messed up. Everybody's family's got messed up stuff because everybody's human. Everybody's flawed. Everybody's messed up. But God put you there with the hope of glory to bring a light where it is needed. God wants America to be revived. God wants your family to be revived. God wants your, your job to be revived. God wants, wants the queen to be revived. God wants Little Rock and, and Washington, D.C. to be revived. And, but he put us there to do it. He put us here to do it. God loved the queen so much that he put you here. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. For God so loved the world that he sent you. He sent you. God loved the world so much that he sent you. That's, God loved your family so much that he put you in it with the gospel. God loved your, your job, your, your, your company so much that he put you in the middle of it. God loved your neighborhood so much that he planted you there. Your apartments, your neighbors. He put you in the middle of them. That's how much he loved them. He sent Jesus to die for them, and then he put you on their doorstep in the cubicle next to them, in the place on the line next to them. He puts you there with the gospel. As a student, he puts you in the desk next to him, in the classroom, in the table. He puts you next to him because you've got the gospel. He, put, he loved them so much that he sent you. You are the answer to prayer. You know, Jesus said, uh, uh, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. You're the answer to that prayer. Because you know what Jesus did in the very next passage? He tells his disciples, pray that people will go out and tell about the gospel. In the very next passage of scripture, Jesus sends his disciples out to tell people about the gospel. You're the answer to that prayer. How is the queen going to come to Jesus? The queen, 72% unchurched. How is it going to come to Jesus? You. Me. Throughout this series, I've been encouraging you to pray, God, give me somebody to tell about you today. Give me somebody to disciple today. This week alone, God sent me four people. Four people. They didn't come to believe, but he sent me four. It's not on me to make, force them to believe, to, to you know, put them in a headlock and shove the Bible in their face. It's right here. Don't do that. <laughs> and then you get arrested. And you say, I'm in prison because I told somebody about Jesus. No, you're not. You're in prison because you tried to kill somebody. <laughs> Stop it. T just tell them about Jesus and leave the belief up to them. I mean, t two of the people I told this week, the conversation ended with, uh, I said, guys, they believe something very different. <laughs> I said, you're not, I said, I get, uh, in this moment, I'm not going to convince you. I said, I'm praying for you. I said, no offense, you're not going to convince me. <laughs> One iota. But I love you guys, and I appreciate you having this conversation with me. That was two, in that moment, it was two on one. So it was two of them and one of me, and I was sharing the gospel with them. And God sent me some other people too. But if you pray it, God will do it. And we, we have to step out in obedience. Step out in obedience and just 
share the gospel. Man, it's hard, you might say. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. I don't know how people are going to respond. You don't. But again, if you obey God and leave the consequences to Him, He'll take care of it. Whether it's your family, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's a coworker, whether you're the boss and it's your employees, whether you're an employee and it's your boss, you don't know. You don't know. All we know is Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of his commands, and he is with us to the very end of the age. Now leave that up there a sec, Penelope. What's so important about this verse is this is called the Great Commission. This is our marching orders, right? It's the last thing Jesus said before he left the earth. Go and make disciples. Now, what's great about this is this is a very, you know, ancient Jewish way of telling something. It's actually the way the book of Genesis is written. In Genesis chapter 1, it gives a, you know, an overview of creation, and then it dives into it in Genesis chapter 2, giving specifics about how man was created. Well, here, Jesus does that. He gives an overview of the instruction, make disciples, and then he gives the specifics of how to do that. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism is a representation of what happens to us in salvation. Baptism should be the first act of obedience for the believer. Baptism, declaring to the world that you belong to Jesus. So we're supposed to go and make disciples first by telling them about Jesus, bringing them to baptism, bringing them in this process. And secondly, we teach them to observe everything he's commanded. How do we do that? What's, what, what, what is what Jesus commanded? You say, I don't know how to disciple somebody. I was never discipled. Well, it says right there, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. What, what record do we have of Jesus' commands? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's just take them through it. Just say, all right, let's start Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to be discipling some people uh, here in the next couple weeks. That's what, We're going to start Matthew 1. You say, Matthew 1? Isn't that the genealogy? Yeah, some great stuff in there, man. The women who are mentioned there. Rahab, always called Rahab the prostitute. She's not called here because in the line of Jesus, Jesus changes her from the inside. And so everything, you can begin to walk through them, the commands of Jesus, and I guarantee you, you walk through somebody through the commands of Jesus, it's not going to just change them, it's going to change you in the process. And so this is the disciple-making process, creating disciples in salvation and growing them throughout that process. You make them by creating them, by growing them. Then they go and become disciple makers. And so this whole thing, I've got it listed here. Those ten areas I mentioned to you at the beginning. Beginning with belief, moving all the way down to being a gospel giver and disciple maker. You know, a study that came out a couple years ago. 98% of Bible-believing, church-going, evangelical Christians. 98% have not told somebody about Jesus in the last 12 months. 98%. You say, man, that's crazy. I guarantee you, that's most of us. 98 is most. God's given us the, I'm not trying to beat you up here, guys, but God's given us this message that's going to change everything. It's going to revolutionize the world. It's going to change your family. It's going to change the queen. People will only start... <laughs> Start putting down the drugs when we start handing them something to pick up, Jesus. People will only stop putting down other addictions when we hand them something that 
is far greater and can bring great more filling in their life in Jesus. It's Jesus that's going to change lives. Nothing else. Jesus is the only one that's going to bring peace. I was speaking with a young man this week who is riddled with anxiety because of personal decisions he's made and consequences that are coming. And the only way, I had to tell the only way anxiety is going to leave is Jesus. Otherwise, it's going to just tear you up from the inside. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Nothing else. We try to sub everything else in to, to be the answer for us, but it's got to be Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we have Jesus, we can give Jesus. Well, I don't know how to share the gospel. Well, if you've come here any length of time, any Sunday, I give you the gospel in one or two sentences every single week both for those who are hearing to come to know Jesus, but also for those of you who know Jesus to know how to share him. Jesus is the Son of God. He died so all of your sins would be forgiven. He rose from the dead so you can live after you die. That's the gospel. That's it. In a compound sentence. Probably bad grammar. My wife was an English teacher. She can help me with that later. We'll argue about where to put the comma, but we disagree on that point. But she's right. She is an English teacher. I'm not. And, and one sentence gospel right there. And just tell what God did for you. God's done this for me. God's brought me here. God gave me peace here. God's, he, Jesus, in my life, changed everything. Brought me through such terrible moments that I would not have made it without him. I'm standing here, sitting here on the stage in front of you guys, talking for a very long time about Jesus. You know when I started preaching? I had a stutter. Sometimes it still comes up when I'm tired or frustrated. I get hung up on a word or a phrase. But when I preach, it's not there. Not because of me, because I train my tongue, because of Jesus. He's the only one who can do it. He's the one who can do it. Jesus can change everything. It all comes down to Jesus. And so that's what we need to do, this making disciples thing. You need to pray for somebody to tell. You need to find somebody to tell. You need to pray for somebody to disciple. Find somebody to disciple. Maybe you've got kids still living in your house. Boom, ready-made disciples right there. God gave them to you. They're your first disciples. That doesn't mean you stop. Oh, God, man, God, you gave me five. I mean, that's a lot. That doesn't mean I can't tell somebody else about Jesus just because I got five in my house. I'm never supposed to stop. Never until he takes me. He hadn't taken me yet, so I'm still here to tell people about Jesus. That's my responsibility. I mean, Paul, his job, the thing he got paid for was not to preach. He was a tent maker. You only hear about that like one or two times. Whatever your job is, that shouldn't define you. Jesus should define you. We know, we know Paul is a great you know, missionary for the gospel, but that was not his job. Whatever your job is, what you should be known by is Jesus. And so I've got something here. What we're going to be doing, what I'm going to be talking about, we're going to mention it in multiple weeks. I cut this open. About to, we've got 100 tea lights here. I, what we're going to, this, this all-in stuff isn't just going to be something we talk about here at the beginning of the year and just let it fly. We're going to keep talking about it as the year goes on. And as you tell somebody about Jesus, and when somebody comes to know Jesus, I want you to have one of these. Before the service is over, I want everybody to get one of these little tea lights. 
And when somebody believes in Jesus, I want you to bring that tea light back to the church and just set it here on the platform. And then that Sunday, I'm going to come in with the lighter. There. And I'm going to light every tea light that's on the platform. So that when we come into church, we're going to know, hey, somebody accepted Jesus this week. I want, when people come in, that'd be the first place your eyes go. How many lights are on the stage today? Man, I'm looking forward. I can't tell you, when God gave me this this week, I was really beg. I was like, God, make, when I was telling those people, this is the one. We're going to have a light. I'm going to put it on the stage. And God said no, or the person said no. And uh, so I'm excited. I'm going to take my light, and I'm ready. Like, I'm going to carry it in my pocket. I'm going to put it in my wax all over the place and carry it in the car because I want to be, I want to, I cannot wait for somebody to come to Jesus and come to put that light on the stage and light that puppy before next Sunday, if that be what God desires or what God has planned. And so what I want you to do here in just a minute, we're going to pray. If you need to know Jesus and you come and believe in Jesus today, whether you're in the room or you're watching online and you believe in Jesus today, you can come and tell us. If you're watching online, there's a button right below me that says, I made a decision. You click on that and tell us about that decision and we'll contact you today. You're going to get a phone call this afternoon. So if you didn't put your phone number, then we can't call you, but we'll email you or whatever you put there. Uh, but I want everybody in the room to come and get one of these little tea lights. No matter how old you are, you can tell somebody about Jesus if you're 11. doesn't matter. You can tell somebody about Jesus. You know Jesus. You can tell them about Jesus. Anybody, everybody can tell somebody about Jesus. And so these are going to be here. I want you to grab them and then be looking next week. If, if you've shared with somebody this week and they come to know Jesus, you come and set that light here on the stage sometime during the week, maybe next Sunday, and we're going to light that light. And every Sunday, we're going to see what lights are lit. And we're going to share the gospel with people because the world will be changed as God's people go out and change it. So if you are Ananias, who is your Paul? Who is God sending you?